This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. This is Encounter with God and you are with Lyle Southwell. We are in the middle of Daniel chapter 11, which is possibly one of the most challenging prophecies of the Bible simply because it has so much prophecy within it. However, before we get to that prophecy, we need to stop and take a moment to remind you all that there is a app, a Faith FM app. And so if you are in an area where you are struggling with getting a signal, if you are getting a weak signal, or if you're in an area where you're getting the delayed broadcast, I know number, quite a number of you called up and uh, mentioned that you listened to the delayed broadcast, uh, then you need to uh, simply jump onto your phone, go to the App Store, download the Faith FM app, and you will be in good shape right there. You'll get a perfect signal right across Australia. You'll have the live show every day, and you simply run it through your car stereo. Uh, you can use an aux cord. You can use a tape insert. You can use whatever method you would like to use. However, Daniel chapter 11 is where we are at, and we have been talking about the Greek Empire. This chapter is full of history, and what we've put together is kind of an expanded version. So I'm going to read some of you. I'm going to read for you some of the uh, expanded version that is, well, I guess it's the Lyle Southwell expansion. So it's full of, uh, what should we say, uninspired interpretation, commentary mixed into the passage. I should say at the same time that in doing so, these are passages, while they are very complex, have very universal interpretation amongst expositors. And so, yes, there are a lot, there is a lot of agreement, particularly on these early verses in Daniel chapter 11. We were in verse 3 where the Bible says, A mighty king shall arise, he shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. Expanding that... We would read it, a mighty Greek king called Alexander the Great shall arise, and after his, Philip fa- his father Philip has united the Greek cities, he shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will, conquering all of Persia, the Levant, Egypt, and even part of India. We talked about this yesterday. We talked about how he spared the city of Jerusalem and founded the city of Alexandria. Um, the young Jewish men who went to study in the universities of Alexandria did imbibe a lot of Greek philosophy And from them you have the Sadducees. We now move on to verse 4. The Bible says, When he was arisen, his kingdom should be broken up and divided toward the four winds, or the four points of the compass. But not among his descendants, nor according to his dominion which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be uprooted. And I've added in here, it's going to be given to his generals. Cassander will take Greece. Lysimachus will take Thrace. Seleucus, he's kind of the most powerful of them all. Um, He takes most of the north, Persia, Babylon, the Levant, a very, very large swathe of territory. 
And of course, Ptolemy goes down and rules Egypt. And these two become kind of like the two world superpowers and, uh, and, and rivals. And they become known as the king of the north and the king of the south. And what they do is they form dynasties. And so in the north, we have a Seleucid dynasty. A lot of those guys are named Antiochus. In the south, we have a Ptolemaic dynasty. They're all named Ptolemy. And the reason that the Bible calls them the king of the north and the king of the south is because of their geography in relationship to the way they approach Jerusalem. God's city, God's temple, this is the orientation of the prophecy. So if you place yourself in Jerusalem and ask yourself the question, as these people travel from one side of the empire to the other, as they move backwards and forwards, as they fight with each other, where are they passing through? And what you're going to find, of course, is that they are going to pass through uh, Jerusalem, either from the north or from the south. You can't come from the east, you can't come from the west. On the west, you have the Mediterranean. On the east, you have the Arabian border. And so all of the individuals in this prophecy are going to either be coming to Jerusalem via the north or via the south. Even when you get down to the Roman Empire, which comes from the west, when he comes to Jerusalem, he's going to come from either the north or the south. In fact, with the Roman Empire, you're going to find him coming from both places. <coughs> okay, so now it moves to this concept of the north and the south. And it begins with uh, the ruler in the south. We're going to go to verse 5. And in introducing this section, what we're going to find is that the north is relatively quickly taken over by Seleucius. And so Ptolemy, the ruler of Egypt in the south, the Bible says in verse 5, and this is the Lyle Southwell expanded version, so you can take it or leave it, shall become strong, as well as one of Alexander's other princes, Seleucius. And after Lysimachus has conquered Cassander, so this is what's happening in the north. Uh, we have Lysimachus, who is in control of Thrace, goes to war with Cassander, and conquers Cassander. And so now you've really only got three of the original four generals who divided up the empire. Um, so Lysimachus now owns all of Greece and Thrace. Seleucius shall gain power over both of their territories. And so now the situation that you've got in the north is that everything north of Egypt is owned and ruled by Seleucius. So you've got to remember these are Greek kingdoms. This is a Greek empire. And everything is going to become so Greek, so Hellenized during this period, that when you come down to the time of Christ, you have the Roman Empire that is using Greek philosophy and that is worshipping Greek gods. And you have many Jewish people whose first language is Greek. They're called Hellenized or Hellenic Jews. And Greek is going to become the, the, the lingua franca of the world. It's going to become the equivalent of English. So the Greeks are going to dominate this history, this period of ancient history, in much the same way as Great Britain has dominated the history of the world over the last 400 years. 
Um, that has resulted in English being the language that you can use wherever you go on the planet. Greek is going to take that particular place uh, as a result of the Greek influence of this empire at this time. And that, of course, still comes down to us today because, you know, the New Testament is written in Greek. The original New, Test New Testament. The Bible says in verse 5 that Seleucus, who gains dominion over the entire north of the empire, stretching from Greece all the way through to India, the uh, Bible says he has dominion and his dominion shall be a great dominion. Of course, if you look at that on a map, that is, you know, that completely dwarfs the southern kingdom of Egypt where Ptolemy is ruling. Anyway, the Bible continues on in verse 6, and it kind of moves from one king to another, and the way that you are able to identify which king is being spoken about is by context. So in each verse, as we work our way through it, we're going to be looking for context in relationship to identifying the individuals that are spoken about. At the end of some years, the king of the south will join forces with the king of the north. So then you look for context and you simply ask yourself the question, who was the king of the south who joined to the north? And so we could read it a little bit like this. <coughs> Excuse me. At the end of some years, the son of Ptolemy, who is called Ptolemy Philadelphus, will join forces and make a treaty with the grandson of Seleucus, a man named Antiochus Theos. So now we've come down to a time where uh, Seleucus has died. Um, you're now down to the third generation and his grandson Antiochus Theos is on the throne. And this is where you find this first treaty between the north and the south being made in an attempt to create some peace between the two because they are bitter rivals and they are going to be at almost constant war with each other for pretty much every generation of either the Ptolemies or the Seleucids uh, throughout their entire reign of you know, this particular region of the Greek Empire. So the Bible says at the end of some years, and so we're a little bit further down the track, uh, we have this treaty being made, this joining of forces between the King of the North and the King of the South. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. Um, the Bible goes, goes on and talks about a daughter that shall go to the north, a daughter from the south that's going to go to the north. And we could read it a little bit like this, for the daughter of Ptolemy Philadelphus. And this was how they used to make treaties in those days. Treaties were made when you by marriage. And the theory behind it was if my enemy... If I am married to my enemy's daughter, my enemy will not invade because she will be patriotic to my kingdom and he won't want his daughter to be killed in the process. And so these were basically what you might call hostage marriages. And so they would exchange wives. They would give their each other their you know wives to be married, and the wife would kind of be held as a hostage in a kind of a way because it's like, well, you don't want to invade me because I'm married to your daughter. I'm your I'm your brother-in-law right now, and you don't want to invade your brother-in-law because you might endanger the life of your daughter. It wasn't a particularly safe arrangement either for the women who were involved. 
And of course, in those days, in the Greek Empire, unlike Israel, where women had an enormous amount of rights, women had basically no rights at all. They were told, and they did what they were told. And when they were told, you're going to marry this person because you are a political tool, then you could have you know, some very attractive young lady, and they would get married very, very young, ridiculously young, um, definitely pedophile ages by today's standards. And they'd be often married off to very old men that they did not want to be with, and they kind of just had to make the best of it. Um, you can only imagine the trauma that that created, and the trauma that that created kind of explains when you understand epigenetics why some of their offspring were so incredibly messed up. Anyway, getting back to our story, you've got this treaty, this joining of forces that's going to be made between the South and the North, and the South, Ptolemy Philadelphus ruling in the South, is going to uh, marry his daughter to Antiochus Theos, who is ruling in the North. So we can read it a little bit like this. For the daughter of Ptolemy Philadelphus in the South, who is called Berenike, shall go to Antiochus Theos in the North to be married to him and thus make an agreement. Now, of course, she arrived there with an enormous dowry um, and many attendants. She's turning up as a princess. And this works for a while, but it doesn't work well because Antiochus Theos, you know, had previously been married to a girl named Laodice, and he really liked this girl. As it turns out, that wasn't a very good idea. He shouldn't have really liked this girl because she was a bad egg. <clears throat> but uh, he really likes her. He gets rid of her, divorces her, puts her away so that he can make room for Berenike. And he marries Berenike, and they have this treaty, and she comes with all of her attendants, and, of course, she's very wealthy. However, the Bible is not yet finished speaking about this arrangement. It says, but she shall not retain the power of her authority. Well, why not? Well, Antiochus Theos, he really liked Laodice. And he decides he's going to bring her back. Now, this is, going, of course, is going to get the Egyptians down in the south. The Ptolemies down in the south very, very ticked off. Uh, but he's like, no, you know what? I like this Laodice and I'm going to bring her back. So he does. And we could read it a little bit like this. For Antiochus Theos will return to his former, his former wife Laodice, whom he had divorced to make way to be married to Berenike. And then the Bible says, And neither he nor his authority shall stand. So Laodice comes back and she sees that she is a political tool, nothing else. And she's a bit of a feminist and she's not going to stand for this. She's not going to be used as a pawn on a political board. She's going to become a political creature herself. And she decides, you know what? You can't get away with just divorcing me and bringing me back whenever you feel like it and using me for your, you know, political expediency whenever necessary. So she decides she's going to do something about this. And uh, very simply... Well, history bears out the story. She poisoned him. And we could read it a little bit like this in the Bible. For Laodice shall poison him for the shame he had brought upon her. She recognizes that her position in the court is actually very fragile. 
It's like, you know, the way that I'm, I'm going to be in a, you know, because if, well, let, let's say that she had been a perceived threat to Berenike, Berenike could have had her killed. Um, and she has two sons. They are both royal descendants of Antiochus Theos. And she's like, you know what? I am safer with my sons than I am with my former husband. Now, of course, we don't know about this arrangement and this marriage. And, you know, there's every possibility that Antiochus Theos was a violent man as well. Uh, these were not well socially adapted individuals, these kings who ruled back in the day. Anyway, the long and the short of it is she poisons him. And, of course, history says that because he brought shame upon her and she places her son, Seleucius Callinicus, on the northern throne. Of course, what happens to Berenike then? Laodice's come back into power. She's killed her husband. She's placed her son on the throne. Is she going to stop right there and let Berenike live? Well, of course not. Absolutely. So Berenike, all of her attendants, all of the Egyptians who came with her, they are all brutally murdered um, along with uh, her children that she had given birth to. Uh, with Antiochus Theos, who could have been, you know, a, a threat to Laodice's children. This is this is very much, you know, this is the jungle here. This is this is survival of the fittest. Kill or be killed, is what is taking place in this empire. And there's going to be a lot of blood shed, a lot of people who are stabbed and poisoned and just executed as we work our way down through these various dynasties. Okay, this brings us down to verse 7. Well, the end of verse 6, you know, um, she shall be given up, and with those who bought her and her cho- children uh, that she gave birth to, um, and he who strengthened her, that's Antiochus Theos, um, in those times, they're all going to die, and they do. Verse 7. But from a branch of Berenike's roots. So Berenike, remember, she was the southern Egyptian princess. One shall arise. And you can imagine when Laodice comes back, when that's going to annoy the Egyptians enormously, or when Antiochus Theus brings her back, when Laodice poisons Antiochus Theos, the Egyptians could kind of be like, well... He had it coming. But then she turns around and she murders in cold blood their princess and all of her attendants. You can imagine this is going to set the Egyptians' blood boiling. And of course, Laodice and, and uh, Seleucius Callinicus would have known this very, very well. So a branch from one of Berenike's roots, one of her relatives, and it's going to be her brother, Ptolemy Eurigetes. So let's read it this way. But from a branch of Berenike's roots, one shall arise, namely her brother, Ptolemy Eurigetes, who once he has come to the Egyptian throne, shall come with an army. The Bible says... And the Bible says, enter the fortress in the north. We're going to say the fortress city of Seleucia. And he does a lot more than that. He actually completely conquers uh, Seleucius 
Kalinicus in the north and basically cuts his army up into small pieces. And if it wasn't for a rebellion that broke out in Egypt, he would have gone on to conquer the entire northern kingdom and he probably would have been the one who would have come closer than anyone else to actually uniting the Greek Empire again. But at the height of his northern successes, we find that Ptolemy Eurigetes is told that there is a conspiracy down in Egypt and he has to rush back to Egypt. He leaves, of course, an army in the north to hold his possessions that are there. And we're going to come back to this story. We're going to take a song break right now. And we're back to this story in just a moment.
Welcome back, everybody. We're picking up the story um, from Daniel chapter 11, where we have been working our way through some Greek history. We're going to spend a little bit of time on this. This is uh, There's a lot of detail here, a lot of verses. And we were talking about uh, Berenike, the Egyptian princess who was sent to the north. So you've got Greek nations in Greek uh, nations, I guess, in the south and in the north. She's sent to the north to make an alliance there. Cut a long story short, she gets murdered in the north by the royal family and her brother Ptolemy Eurigetes he goes up there and he would have taken the entire north except for a conspiracy that takes place in Egypt he has to rush back down to Egypt and solidify their things there but we could read verse 7 a little bit like this if we expanded it with the Lyle Southall uninspired version but from a branch of Berenike's roots one shall arise namely her brother Ptolemy Eurigetes who once he has come to the Egyptian throne shall come with an army, enter the fortress city of Seleucia in the north and deal with them and prevail. Ptolemy Eurigetes, being warned of a conspiracy in Egypt, will then return home without conquering all of the northern kingdom. The Bible then goes on to speak about in verse 8 how uh, we have Ptolemy Eurigetes. He carries a tremendous amount of wealth. He plunders the north. And amongst that wealth, we find that there are about two and a half thousand gods that he takes back to Egypt with him. And of course, the Egyptians absolutely love him for this. Um, now, these gods had been in the north for a very, very long time. They, had, they were gods who had actually been captured by the Persian Cambyses II. So we're now we're going back to almost the beginning of the Persian Empire. Cambyses II had conquered the Egyptian uh, empire on behalf of the Persians. He had obviously plundered the Egyptians and in plundering them, they, he had taken around about two and a half thousand gods away with him. The Egyptians literally had thousands of gods. And so he's taken all of these gods. And of course, when uh, uh, Ptolemy Eurigetes is up there in the north, he finds all of this treasure. And he's like, you know what? This treasure has been up here for quite a, you know, hundreds of years now, and it belongs in Egypt. And so he collects it all up and he takes it south. And if there's one way to win friends and influence your nation, then this is it. They are going to rejoice in the south. Not only that, um, he's going to take along their princes that he captured, the Bible says, and their precious articles of silver and gold. And so we find that when Ptolemy Eurigetes heads back south to Egypt, he is carrying with him a tremendous amount of wealth. The Bible says that he will continue more years than the northern emperor. And you would not expect this because Ptolemy Eurigetes is much older than Seleucius Callinicus. And so Seleucius Callinicus is Four generations down from the original Seleucius, whereas Ptolemy Eurigetes is only three generations down. So Seleucius Callinicus is definitely a lot younger, but he dies when he falls off his horse. So it could read something like this. He shall continue more years than Seleucius Callinicus, who reigns in the north. For Seleucius shall fall off his horse and die prematurely five years before Ptolemy Eurigetes dies of old age. And verse 9, so Ptolemy Eurigetes of the south shall come into Seleucius Callinicus's kingdom and then shall return into his own land. Well, we now move on to verse 10. We're working our way through it. This is pretty heavy going. 
The Bible goes on to talk about some sons here who will stir up strife. And uh, Seleucius Callinicus has two sons. His oldest son is a man by the name of Seleucius Sereranus. And for all those who speak the language, you're going to have to forgive my pronunciation. I am going to butcher these names, but you're going to know who I'm talking about. He has a younger brother who is called Antiochus the Great, or in the Romans called him Antiochus Magnus. Or from coming from magnitude, Antiochus the Great. What happens is that his older brother, Seleucius Serranus, or Serranus, he assembles a great army, a multitude of forces. The Bible describes it in verse ten. Uh, what the Bible doesn't say is that he's poisoned before he can mount an invasion. So, up there in the north, it's not a great thing to be a northern ruler. Uh, to be a northern ruler, you have every possibility that you might end up being poisoned. This is now the second northern ruler out of four who has been poisoned. Or sorry, out of five that has been poisoned. And so his younger brother, Antiochus the Great, is the one who takes the throne. And he's going to, he's going to be the one who's going to bring revenge upon Egypt. So Egypt went up there into the north, nearly conquered the entire north, absolutely humiliated the north and maintained a lot of northern territory. Now, when Antiochus the Great, or Antiochus Magnus, comes to power, he is going to be dealing with rebellions from one end of his empire to the other. Basically, the first three years of his reign is spent just marching here, marching there, marching somewhere else, and putting down rebellions. Eventually, things stabilise, And so he decides to go after the Egyptian possessions in the north. Because the Egyptians, you know, they own the whole of the Levant. They they, they still own the fortress city of Seleucia. The city that bears his family name. So he assembles a great multitude of forces, the Bible says. He mounts an invasion. Um, And the Bible says he shall certainly come and overwhelm. And pass through. So he overwhelms the remaining Egyptian forces in the north. Passes through. He shall then return. And the Bible speaks about the capturing the fortress of uh, the north. He shall certainly return. And I, we, I would read it this way. And recapture his father's fortress of Seleucia from the Egyptians. And stir up strife. Well, how does he stir up strife? Well, he starts talking about mounting a full-scale invasion of Egypt. So he's been so successful against the Egyptian forces in the north that Antiochus the Great, he's like, you know what? We could actually head down there to the south and we could unite the Greek Empire once again. And rather it being a Ptolemaic Empire, it could be a Seleucid Empire. So he starts to stir up strife. Doesn't happen. In the south, Ptolemy Eurigetes is dead, and Ptolemy Philopater, the son, has come to power. And the Bible says that he's going to be moved with rage in relationship to what is taking place there in the north. And to summarize really what we've been having, is we're going to leave it there. You have this conflict between the north and the south that is just absolutely 
you know, the Greeks never stop fighting each other. And it's almost like a repeat of the Greek cities, but under a grander scale. The Greeks at this period of their history were incredibly militaristic. They were warlike. The Greek cities had fought each other until they had finally united under Philip. They then stayed united under Alexander. And when Alexander died, the Greeks just kept fighting each other. And this is not going to stop. It's going to carry on down through history. But what it does show is that in all of these events, God knows exactly what is, in, what is taking place. Ultimately, he is in control. He has not forgotten about our world. And if God knows what is going on on the grand scale, he knows what is going on in your life as well. We're back tomorrow with another section of Encounter with God, Daniel chapter 11. name let angels prostrate fall bring forth the royal diadem and crown him lord of all bring forth the royal diadem and crown him lord of seat of Israel's race he ransomed from the fall hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all Kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. for a way to turn your life experience into an enriching gift for helping those around you? A counselling degree at Avondale College of Higher Education could provide you a great foundation to assist others through life's difficulties. Study in a personalised environment alongside a fantastic support network and community on our Lake Macquarie campus. Apply to study counselling today at counselling.avondale.edu.au. It's higher education designed for life. You're listening to Faith FM. 
Positively Different Radio. Are drugs or alcohol a problem in your life? Alcohol Drugs Assist, or ADA, is a 12-step recovery program designed to help you escape the hold of addictions in a friendly and judgment-free environment. ADA meets regularly, and if you'd like to attend, give Peter a call or text on 0487 907 879. That's 0487 907 879. Welcome back to Faith FM Breakfast Radio. Yes. So obviously before you were listening, oh, yes. <laughs> you're listening to Lyle, and uh, but Lyle's not here. Do you, can you explain that for us, Lawson? Oh, basically, um, <laughs> he um yeah he he's just uh, really he just loves the Bible so much that he, he was like oh look I'm gonna pre-record for tomorrow uh, the segment on Daniel 11. Of course, Daniel 11 being such an incredibly Enormous chapter in scope. And my, my, being, I know my young mind is yet to fully comprehend exactly everything that goes on. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, there's a lot to take in, and, and Lyle, I, I appreciate him yeah. taking one for the team. I talked to him yesterday, and he's like, look, man, you can really... He's like, you can do it if you really want, and I'm like, oh, well, if you're that keen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. give it to you, Lyle, just, just while you're away. You can, you, can, <laughs> you can take it. So, no, I was good, good on him. Lyle, fantastic Bible study. But now, of course, we've come to the question of the day, and we're talking about this a little bit. Um, while uh, uh, Lyle's uh, Bible study was going on. But yeah, what is our question of the day? The question of today, it will be no surprise that it surrounds coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, right, Just about right. everything that you hear in the news or in the radio, it's surrounding coronavirus. And it's 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 looking at a faith perspe- one of the faith perspectives on it, okay? Now, in the wake of the coronavirus, church pastors, they've been coming up with new inventive ways new and inventive ways to connect with their church community. Mm. And one of the ways that they're doing that is through live streams. Mm. And the question that uh, that we've got is, is live stream the future of the church? Mm. That's, a, that's a really good question because I think it's something we, you know, bringing church into the 21st century, bringing church into our modern context. I think, you know, there are some people who are, there's a scale of progressive and, and a liberal in terms of um, methodology of, oh, how should we do church? And live streaming is something that's really on the bleeding edge. It's really the the forefront of, you know, especially over the last couple of years as, as it's become so um, easily available and prevalent as internet speed and connection as we've, you know, had the MBN here in Australia. It's something yep. that's available. Uh, people are asking that question. Okay. Mm. It's like if we're having live streams now because of coronavirus and there is a number of churches, you know, very big churches from the States, even here in Australia, who already do live streaming because they have an international audience. It's like now that every church is doing live streaming, is yeah. that the future? And it's like, oh, well, instead of, uh, you know, waking up Sabbath morning, you know, ha- getting your, your, your Sabbath best on, jumping in the car with the fam and, and going down to church and, um, having that experience, are we just going to replace that with live streaming and, and just spending time at home? Um, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to put my opinion out there and say that, yes, while I believe that live streaming is good, and I've been in a number of meetings over the last uh, week or so about you know the cancellation of events and how we could replace that with live streaming, yeah. I think that the... The connection that we find at church is irreplaceable yeah. um, to the point where the Bible comments on that very thing in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read from verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So it says, let us not let go of our hope. Mm. Let us consider, you know, stir up one another to good works. And in this next verse, it's going to clarify exactly what that hope is and exactly what we need to do to yeah. stir, stir each other up. It says in verse 25, not forsaking of, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day with a capital D approaching. It makes this point. It's like the hope that it refers to in the text above is the day is the second coming yeah. of Christ. And that thing that we need to do, to that we should not let go of, that we should continue to do to stir each other up, is the assembling together. Now, it's like, okay, should we just, you know throw caution to the wind, you know, give just just go to church anyway, just send it. Um, no, we, we also have a responsibility to stay healthy, as uh, Matt was talking about with us before. But at the same time, as much as we can, um, as much as we can... 
we should strive to assemble yeah, together. Definitely. I actually, you know, in becoming an Adventist, that didn't grow up Adventist, in becoming an Adventist, my my um, path was in a house church. Yeah. It was like 10 of us getting together on a Saturday, having house church, singing a cappella hymns and yeah. doing a Bible study. That is so healthy. And I feel like in the midst of this coronavirus, as it gets more and more, as, as the I guess the grip on uh, society gets more strong, um, we should just continue to strive to meet together one another right now this is uh, redeemer knoxville with blessed be the tie that binds
Welcome back to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM with Lawson and Liam. We've come to the end of the show, yes, Lawson. Yes, we have. Well, dear oh, me. Man, I'm, in, I'm loving it. I love it. Oh. I love it. I love radio. We've, this we've is had great. a great time. I've, I've loved having you here. <laughs> Lyle, Lyle left some pretty big shoes to fill and you've filled them quite comfortably. Yeah. Oh, look, they feel a few sizes too big still, but <laughs> we missed Lyle and he's going to be back hopefully soon. Ooh. Um, but yeah, no, it's been awesome. Yeah. There we go. Um, our free giveaway that we've got for the end of the show is a book called They Knew Him by Anita Marshall. All you need to do to win this book is call up right now, 1-800-324-843 or 1-800-FAITH-FM or send us a text on 0491-064-669. So, yeah, if you're the first caller in, mate, you'll just get that and it'll be awesome. There we go. And you'll be loving life. That's so good. All right, yeah. Thanks for having us. I'm. Oh man, what are you? What are you going to get up to today, Liam? Today, yeah. Um, I'm going to make some phone calls, oh, yeah. and I'm going to going to talk to. Them. It's been a while since I've um, I've spoken to my nan, so I'm probably going to call my nan. Mm. Um, but yeah, I love my nan. Oh, that's so good. I'm going to go to uni. Remember, hey, if you want to get in touch with us, one eight hundred three two four eight four three. We can send you down any direction of a number of Bible studies that you can get into. But hey, for now, remember to talk faith, live faith, and act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. And stay tuned for John Bradshaw coming up next.
Thirsty no more, go under and be purified. 